0: all right good afternoon everyone how's everyone doing we're trying to figure out how to turn on the air conditioning we're working on that so give us a couple of minutes i, I, t- I told hannah i'll introduce you in a minute that this place would be packed if we had air conditioning but praise god for that breeze amen yeah. oh my gosh yes so my name is steve tiber and i want to welcome you today uh, i am one of 211 leaders of a ministry called eight days of hope so Uh, It started in 2005. Uh, The plan was simple. Uh, My dad and I were going to get a couple buddies and rebuild a house after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, That simple idea uh, has spurred a national ministry, not because we're smart, uh, but he's got it all figured out, and we just keep saying yes, and the Holy Spirit continues to move through his people. So praise God. As of today, we have now helped 9,500 families rebuild their homes for free 75 million dollars of work has been donated through the Ministry of Eight Days of Hope, and uh, I'll tell you what, we give God all the glory. It's always been about him, it'll always be about him. Yeah. Um, So my name is Steve, and uh, Hannah, who's gonna be doing a lot of the presentation today, uh, is Hannah Fletcher. Um, So she is our Safe House Ministry Director. I will just be transparent. Um, She is my daughter. Uh, Hannah has been in a role for about two years, uh, she graduated with a master's, 4.0, only 1.9 better than me in school, so I don't know what the big deal is. Uh, yeah. Uh, she loves the Lord. Uh, she, she's got her brains from her mama, and so um, I'll introduce Hannah, and thank you for coming. You know what? I'm going to open in a real quick, short prayer, and then I'm going to give it over to Hannah because we start everything we do, anywhere we go, if it's rebuilding a home or mass feeding or safe house ministry, um, we start with prayer. So Father, we thank you for being here this morning. Father, I just pray that you would stir the hearts of saints and show them if and how they should be a part of what you're doing through your people to bring hope to those who are feeling hopeless. Adults and children who are being trafficked. Father, we thank you for being here. Bless this conversation. And uh, thank you so much that we get to be a part of you moving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's Hannah.
1: Hey, guys. It's so nice to be here with you today. We want to really dive into what trafficking is and how it happens, but we want to give you some stats beforehand if you're maybe on the edge thinking, okay, I I get that's an issue, but that's probably not happening around here. So we want to give you a little bit of a knowledge and education about trafficking. We're going to dive in a little bit. My dad's going to talk about what we're doing, and then we're going to go into the grooming process. We're going to go pretty in-depth into what it looks like, um, and we're going to give you some resources and things available as well. So let's just jump on in. Um, I don't know if you had the chance to come Monday night, but human traffickers are turning a profit of $150 billion annually. That's a crazy amount of money. That's more than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB combined on a year. Um, On a global scale, it's the fastest growing crime. It's going to soon surpass the arms trade and the illegal drug trade. So it it is going way up here. And the reason why is you can sell someone over and over and over and over, it's heartbreaking um, that this is happening. Even more heartbreaking is that 17% of survivors have reported that this is not only happening to them, it's being done by their family members. Um, And and of those, they're under 10 years old. Um, I have a one-year-old daughter. It's not uncommon that that's a black market item. That's atrocious, and as a church, we need to be doing something a little bit differently so that that's not happening. The proportion of victims being recruited has changed drastically by family members since COVID, since the pandemic. When people were in a place of despair, when they were locked in their houses and there was nowhere to go, there was no money coming in, they turned to their children. And it increased from 21% to 31% being trafficked by their family members. And in 2020, victims coming out said, 42 of them said, this was done to me by my mom, my dad, my uncle, my aunt. So those numbers are skyrocketing, and the problem we're finding is not with people out there. It's not happening like the movie Taken, although that's a glamorized version of it. It's happening to people that our kids love, and they trust, and they know. And so we need to be able to educate, to provide those resources, and to give our children other options. Um, Within the U.S. Um, 83% of confirmed victims are U.S. citizens. So you may be thinking, okay, well that's people from over there coming in and that's happening to them. And while migration and immigration do play a factor, it's predominantly U.S. citizens in the U.S. that are being trafficked by other U.S. citizens. They're not being taken over there or brought in. We're utilizing the, the resources we have available. And of those cases that actually make it to a criminal standpoint, half are children. So it's not, you know, not just adults who are choosing a life of prostitution. It's our kids. It's our kids. Um, so those are some crazy stats. We just wanted to give you kind of an overview to say this is happening. It's happening here. It's happening to our kids. It's happening in Darien Lake. It's happening in Ohio and across the globe. And my dad's going to talk briefly about what we're doing as an organization to serve survivors.
0: So Hannah wants to educate you about the problem. It's real. Um, when I first was made aware of trafficking, we were in the process of adopting two children from Taiwan. And I was thinking this happens overseas, and, and, and it happens in Las Vegas and New Orleans. It does. But to Hannah's point, it's happening in Erie, Fort Erie, Batavia, Pittsburgh, uh, and Cowdersport, Pennsylvania. It's happening everywhere. And, and really the reason it's growing so fast, men, I'm going to speak to you and myself, it's pornography. It's that simple. Men, we've got to stop going down that slippery slope. Young men, do not let the enemy convince you that God's gift of sex was meant to be that way, looking on a cell phone or an iPad or a tablet. But that's why this, that's why this thing's out of control. And, and, and us men, we are, we are the reason. I'm part of the reason. Because we look with our eyes, right? And, and, and we just we've got to have better self-control. We do. So four years ago, six years ago, I was at the pack, and I was walking, and someone had seen what we were doing, and you know this, you've become a part of a large national organization. They said, "Have you ever thought about helping out with people who've been trafficked?" And between that and going through the adoption and learning more that this is everywhere, we, you know, we have about 55,000 volunteers who have served with us. Half are skilled men and women who want to use their gift to give back. And so we're like, wait a minute, let's give this a shot. And let's see if God's in this, it's, it's going to explode because the church, we need to take our blinders off and realize parents and grandparents, this could be your child or grandchild. I'm not being dramatic. It's here. It's here right now. Some of the facilities around the country we have built, including Not Today, Frank Reich and Linda Reich, we love them, right? Buffalo Bills fans, right? Head coach of the Colts, fired one day and then picks up a $9 million year contract with the Panthers. Go Frank, I love it. Frank and Linda had a, uh, have a ministry in Indianapolis called Not Today. And in 17 days, we remodeled 17,000 square feet. This facility supports children with counseling and aftercare programs that Hannah will talk about maybe in a couple minutes, like dance and arts and some other things as well. But we did that facility in Indianapolis, Indiana. This this is one of my favorite. This is in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yes, we go across the country. And uh, this facility, uh, there's 12 apartments in this building. And women, adult women, here's what happens: when adult woman starts to get prostituted let me just say that their ideas stolen, they're branded, and, and their pimps put their marks on them, and they literally will even sometimes blackmail them and say, "You know, if you ever leave me, I know where your sister lives. I know where your family lives." Once they are rescued and they go through a detox because 99% of them are on some type of drug to just numb themselves so they can remove their mind from their body. That breaks my heart. But this facility is an amazing facility. It's an amazing, amazing ministry. Each apartment has multiple rooms, so women who go through restoration, emotional, physical, and spiritual support, they're reconnected with their kids, and they live here for free. And there's somebody that's in the building all the time who loves the Lord, and they're there to be their house mom, their helpmate. So when they have a hiccup, and they will, right, a month later, they have a five-year-old, and they, they're starting to freak out, like, oh, my gosh, they have someone they can lean on. So they don't run back to drugs that might lead them down that path as well. As, as well. And this is Safe Harbor. So uh, you might have saw this Monday. You'll hear a little bit more about it tonight on the main stage. But Safe Harbor is a, a campus campus. Um, here's hope a 30 acre piece of property in Millersburg Ohio four hours from here uh, is being built this will be the largest safe house in the Northeast for children who have been rescued from trafficking Hannah will tell you in a minute with the average ages because I can't say it I can't say it with three girls and, and grandchildren I can't it's just so hard for me to even share that but we are building uh, on this campus, 12 different buildings from a six cottages, a chapel, an equine facility, a medical building, a school, administration building, a transition house. Children, children are going to be given a chance to restart their journey. And as a child who's been trafficked, and I've, we've met them, we've met some, and and, and they're survivors, they're not victims, they're survivors. And, and, and now they're starting to thrive because they're, they're getting the emotional, physical, and spiritual help they need. But these children now will have a chance to restart their journey and then hopefully at some point transition back to a loved one uh, that will help them along that path. This is a six and a half million dollar project. And check this out, we're building it from start to end. Not, no, not because we're special, but because God has called his people not to sit on the sidelines right? We are to be in the game of being a light in a dark world. And so this campus is being built. Um, It's progressing. Hannah, give them an update on, on Safe Harbor. And just so you know, and this is, we're not asking, this is not a money plea, but on Monday you heard that any donation this month, it ends in what, four days, five days, is being doubled by a group of investors that do kingdom work. So if you give $50 today at 8daysohope.com, if, if you write a check to 8 Days of Hope, it will be doubled. I mean, I was in the business world for 30 years. If I can make eight, 10%, man, I'm a pig in mud, right? I lived in Mississippi. That's how we talked down there for 20 years, right? But you get a chance to see your gift double right through the 31st, but Hannah why don't you to share a little bit more as well.
1: Yeah, Safe Harbor is an amazing project. It's being modeled after a tried and true uh, facility just outside of Austin, Texas called The Refuge. They do something called a circle of care where each girl gets an individualized approach to their recovery journey. They're not going through a 12 step process and on week three they hit here and week five they hit here. They take time just like God took time to meet us where we were at they meet these girls where they're at, and they walk them through recovery, whether it takes three months, or six months, or two years, and nobody pays a dime. It's all for free, all in the name of God, and they just love on these girls. So this is a wonderful facility, um, and unfortunately, it's the only one that's going to be available to our girls in Buffalo, New York, and Rochester, and Erie, PA, because there's nowhere else to send them. This will be the closest facility four hours away from us. Um, There's 13,000 animal shelters across the U.S., and I love my little turd cat as much as you love your little puppy, but there's 600 beds for our girls. And you know what they're constituting as a safe bed is a jail cell in a lot of different places. So that needs to change. That is a problem, that the best we can provide for our children is a jail cell. Church, come on. A little bit different than that. Um, This is a map. We've worked with 13 amazing organizations in eight different states. Um, These are our little lights, and there's lots of other ones um, across the U.S. that are doing good, that are needing help, and so we're so grateful that we have had an opportunity to help all of these organizations. Um, If you are connected with an organization in your area, um, they can go online at eightdaysofhope.com, and they can apply for assistance. We have an application process online where we vet organizations for long-term sustainability, um, and then we work With them to provide additional capacity and housing needs so if you know a connection they're welcome to go to our website or you can come grab my business card after Um, so we want to we want to kind of transition into we know this is a problem we are grateful that we get to be a part of the solution but rather than be on the back end we want to fix the front end of the issue we want to realize how this is happening and cut off trafficking at the start so that all of these wonderful facilities we're building will hopefully one day sit empty Um, That's my goal, is that we're spending $6.5 million on Safe Harbor, and in 10 years it's not going to be needed. That's my prayer. Um, I just want to preface this by saying the first time I visited the refuge, um, which is for children, um, they let me go into the cottages that we were built, they they had built, that we're modeling this after. And I walked in and I looked down, and there was a child-size-five pair of red stilettos. Um, and they said those are hers. She doesn't want to get rid of them. She likes the way she looks in them. Um, child size five, six-inch pair of red stilettos, um, Our girls, these are our girls. And so when you're thinking, okay, well, like I think I have a one-year-old daughter, cell phones are evil, she's never getting one, that's not the only way it's happening. So rather than be afraid of the world that we're called to live in and be a light in, we need to learn how to be wise instead. So that's my hope as we talk through the grooming and recruitment process, that we don't live in fear of technology because there are things that may be used for evil that God will use for good. Um, So let's focus on that as we walk through this. Trafficking happens in a three part process. It starts with recruitment, it goes into the grooming phase, and then it hits into that exploitation level, and then the cycle perpetuates. It continues, and oftentimes girls who have been recruited, groomed, and then exploited are now taken to then recruit, exploit, and groom other victims. So it's a continual cycle. So we're going to learn about what that is starting with recruitment where does it happen what is it recruitment is the process of identifying a potential target someone that could be trafficked a victim and these are just some places it can happen anywhere can happen right here at darien lake while we're walking around today it can happen at a foster home or a group home it can happen at the park while you're at the library with your kid Um, it can happen at the shopping mall high schools and junior highs are a huge place where recruitment is happening it's happening everywhere all around us, and so even if you say social media is evil, I'm taking that away, I promise you, your children are still at risk. And that's not something that you should run in fear of, it's something that should make you stand up and say, we're going to well equip our children. Um, So recruitment is happening. There are certain factors that does put someone at more of a level to be recruited, a higher risk factor. So for sex trafficking, these are the top five factors. Substance use concerns, runaway or homeless youth, those in our foster care system, unstable housing. This can be as simple as having divorced parents and you're going from one place to the other, to the other place, Um, mental health concerns, and a recent migration or relocation. You moved from Buffalo, New York, to Tupelo, Mississippi, and now your children your child is in a place of isolation. Um, and it's not just children, this is for all age groups. Um, but for labor trafficking, it does look a little differently. They're kind of in a different um, order. So labor trafficking, more often than not, you see it with people coming in from outside the country, that they're often promised a job that doesn't look anything like the reality of what they step into. Um, self-reported economic hardship, It's a choice. They're choosing to do that. I'll argue that prostitution is never a choice, but we can have that conversation on a later date. Um, It's not a choice if you have no other options. Um, Unstable housing, a criminal record, or substance use concerns, things that make it harder for them to get a job that would be easier for us to apply for. So those are some risk factors that put them um, at a higher chance of being labeled a potential victim. So once a a trafficker or a pimp has identified that looks like a good victim, and they they're working lots of victims at once. They're not going putting all their eggs in one basket. Um, They're way too advanced for this. They're using one of three methods, and I'll walk you through an in-depth level of how this happens. But they're going to go, they're either going to convince that person we're in love. I'm your I'm your boyfriend. I'm your girlfriend. It's going to be me and you against the world. But I just need you to do one thing because we're kind of low on money. But I love you and I'm gonna give you a different life. Or they're gonna say, I see you need someone to provide for you. You're strong, you're independent, you can do it on your own. We don't need to be in a relationship, but I'll cover all your needs. I'll take care of all of your expenses. I will be your provider if you just do this one thing. And then there's the last method, which is protector. They're, they're taking that father figure kind of role. They see that that's lacking, and I will protect you from whatever else is out there. And they use one of these th- three grooming tactics to wiggle their way into your life and be a permanent fixture so that that's where you're turning to when you need your needs met. So once they have you in their grooming, you know, you've, recruited, they recruited, gr- they've groomed you, um, we see that social media is becoming the prominent way that they're doing that. Um, It serves as an awesome tool because our kids are so innocent and it's become so ingrained in our life that the first thing we want to do when we get married is post our album on Facebook. And I'm talking at myself here because I was really excited to share my photos. But we are way too open in sharing our personal information with people that we say as friends. Sally friended me on Facebook. She's got a green shirt from Eight Days of Hope, so obviously I know her somewhere. And now, click, I've added Sally, even though it's possible that Sally doesn't even exist. I just thought that I knew her. So you're adding friends of friends, or my sister says, oh, I know Ella, and I'm like, oh, cool, so Emma knows Ella, so I should probably add Ella, and Ella isn't actually who Ella says she is. We're adding and we're sharing, even with our specialized private accounts, we've let them in, and they don't realize it. So we're gonna kinda talk a little bit about the digital landscape. And my my sister's uh, 18 and she pointed out all of these are old. So um, I'm obviously not as up to date as I like to think I am. But I will say most of our stats come from Facebook and Instagram. So even if they're getting older in their app years, they're still widely used recruitment methods. So we have some social medias up here. YouTube actually is the number one place where children report posting their own child sexual abuse material or their own nude images for lack of a better word, YouTube. And it's also the number one where they've said they've either seen it, shared it, or reposted it. Yeah, YouTube. Crazy, right? You listen to worship music on there. Oh, no, there's a lot more on YouTube than you want to look into. Snapchat and TikTok, you think those are the obvious evil ones. I would agree with you, they are, but they're just as bad as Facebook Marketplace. So, for those of us who are easily pointing fingers saying, I would never use TikTok, but you're on Facebook all the time, that's just as evil of a platform. Video games. Video games. Um, this is uh, there's Among Us is on here, Minecraft, Fortnite, you're thinking all the big ones, Call of Duty, and you're thinking, well, they're just playing a video game. It's not a big deal. Did you know there's open chats on there? Yeah, your kid could be chatting with anybody, and they think it's Joey across the street, but it might not actually be Joey from across the street. It could be a 45-year-old man. Do you know who your kids are talking to when they're playing their video games? And if you don't, that should scare you. It should because this is where it's happening, because they're starting on Minecraft and it's innocent and they're playing every night for 30 minutes and then the guy on Minecraft says, do you want to talk on signal instead? And then they go to a chat app. And then from there they go to this last category, secret apps, and these change all the time, so please don't get too attached to these and they don't even look like this when they're on your phone, it's a secret app. This one here is called Vaulty and you know what it looks like when you put it on your phone? Whatever your kid customizes it to be. Maybe it's a calculator. Oh, and inside of it is a secret password that has all their porn. They change. Technology has become scary in the fact that this app doesn't even look like this anymore, and you think your kid's (laughs) doing a math game, working on their algebra homework, and they're being blackmailed, and they're hiding their images in here while they're talking on signal because it started on Instagram with a friend of a friend named Susan that they thought they knew.
0: So as a dad and a grandfather, Um, five kids two grandchildren we're not saying that your kids should not have apps and you should not have apps right Um, but it's you need to know what where your kids are going you know if they're 13 16 8 you know my rule in my house if I pay for your phone guess who's got an option to look in your phone now I'm not in their phone every minute right I'll just share this one quick story. But we, we don't want you to leave it like, oh, my gosh, you'll never get a phone. It's not going to work, guys. I mean, they're just going to rebel, right? But it's, it's being a part of the process. I've had discussions with my 18-year-old daughter and my 19-year-old daughter, Hannah's younger sisters, of how traffickers are using social media to pretend they are somebody they are not. So we lived in Tupelo, Mississippi for 19 years, moved back to Buffalo five years. That's where the ministry is still based in Tupelo. Uh, of course, we go anywhere in the country where we're needed. Uh, there was a young boy, junior in high school, great kid, great kid, part of the youth group, uh, you know, sang in, a, in the youth choir, captained the football team, good-looking young man, great life ahead of him, and he sent his photo to what he thought was a 16-year-old girl. And the guilt, it wasn't a 16-year-old girl. It was an older person who now started to blackmail him. So they used that picture that he sent that he thought to another girl. True story, Google it. Check this out. He got so despondent, he found a way to send him some money they wanted more because he didn't want his parents or his church to find out. It got so crazy that he ended his life just this past year. He ended his life. Our goal today is not to install fear or angst or anxiousness, but we need to know that traffickers are using the internet and social media to find our kids and grandkids. And we, as a people of the Lord, we need to do all we can to educate and have open conversations. I mean, I pray my kids never do that, but I also pray that if they did that and they got to that point, they would know that, yeah, I'd be disappointed, but I love them so much. I love them so much that just like our Father has forgiven us, I would forgive them and show them that same grace, right? So just remember, this is all great information, right? We need to know, but also know that that relationship with your child and your grandchild is so, so important as you walk this journey.
1: It is true that the more involved and engaged you are as a parent and the more your kid knows, I can go to mom when I've messed up and before mom condemns me, mom is gonna help me, they are at a reduced risk of trafficking. If your kid is way too afraid to come to you to say, mom, I messed up and I thought this was someone that loved me and he was manipulating me and I don't even know who he is, if they can't come to you and say that, they're at a greater risk than you can even imagine. Um, It's important that we don't see social media as something just to take away. Um, That's gonna create even greater resentment than we can fathom, but that we give them the ability to learn, to grow, to make those mistakes in a safe environment where mom and dad are there to love, to care, and to nurture that journey that they're gonna walk on. Um, Just some stats on online recruitment. During lockdowns, online recruitment increased 22% and common recruitment tactics decreased. So foster care, which was number one in recruitment, decreased by 70%. Strip clubs by 46% and schools by 38%. So we're seeing this digital shift. Everything's moving online. In 2020, there was a 125% increase of Facebook recruitment and a 95% increase on Instagram recruitment. So we're seeing these top ones start to appear because those are the most prominent places kids are sharing pictures of their lives. And so we're going to walk through a real-life example. How does this happen? So I'm on Instagram. Um, I have a private account, but... Joey follows me, and I'm pretty sure I know Joey because he's a friend of my friend, and she's been telling me about Joey, and they've been hanging out, but Joey follows me and um, sends me a message one day, so I post a picture of me. I'm at the Superman. jeez, with my best friend, Joey says, oh my gosh, are you at Darien Lake? That's so much fun, and I say, yeah, we got passes to Kingdom Bound. My mom got them through her work. She works at um, WGRZ. I'm blanking on you know, WDCX, she works at WDCX, I'm sorry, so she works at WDCX, oh that's awesome, yeah, so we've been having so much fun, and the chat goes on, so now Joey knows where my mom works, right, see how easy that is? And so then we're chit-chatting a little bit later, and I said, take another picture of me and my sister eating ice cream. We're at Nick Charlaps because it's the best place to go for ice cream, um, and I'll fight you on that one. It really is. Um, so we're at Nick Charlaps, We're taking pictures, and he goes, oh, you guys getting ice cream? And we say, yeah, my mom took us out. And he goes, oh, your mom, is your dad out of town again? Oh, no, uh, my dad passed away when I was seven. Uh, so it's just us and my mom. Oh, okay, okay. So now he knows what, what need I don't have met. Now he knows he's going to fill... That father figure role. So he's gaining my trust, he's gathering my information through my DMs, just as, as, because I think I know Joey, right? We think we're friends. So it doesn't seem weird to me that I would tell Joey that. So Joey continues talking to me, which we're texting every day, and now I'm like checking my phone to see if Joey's texted me anything, because you know, he's built that emotional relationship. Even over a digital platform, you can't negate. An emotional relationship, you can say, "Oh, that's not real." But to the person texting or communicating, it is a very real relationship. So now I'm thinking, "Oh, Joey is filling that emotional void in me, that need in me, and I'm having that met through him." And Joey begins to isolate me. I say, "Oh, I think I'm going to go hang out with my friend Sarah this weekend," and Joey says, "Aren't we going to text?" And I'm like, "Well, we're going to be at our lake house. I don't think so because it's like right outside of Canada." and he's like, well, you won't have cell servers up there. How are you going to communicate with me? And I'm like, oh, I don't, maybe, maybe I should stay home. Maybe I shouldn't go with Sarah. And I'm beginning to be isolated. And then Joey's like, one late, really late, 3 a.m. He's like, hey, are you up? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I miss you. And I miss you too, Joey. And he goes, it'd really help if I could see you right now. And oh, Joey, I'm in, I'm in my PJs. That's okay. And it starts from there. And then Joey gets that one image, you know, the one that he's been begging for, and the the shift happens instantly, because Joey now owns me. Joey knows where my mom works. He can take that photo to WDCX. Joey knows that I don't have a dad and there's no one at the house to protect me because my mom works late shifts. Joey knows I have a younger sister. He knows where to find her too. Joey has a lot of my information. He's isolated me, so I don't feel like I can tell anybody. And I just made the biggest mistake. Now that I know who Joey is and that he's not actually who I think he is, how on earth am I gonna go tell my mom what I've done? I've put my sister at risk. I've put her job, in my mind, her job at risk. I've put myself at risk. And he's gonna do whatever it takes to maintain control. And that process is gonna continue and continue and continue until he can actually do that next step of going, well, I would say the actual abuse is trafficking as well, but that next step of taking me out of my home, getting me to meet up with him, and agreeing, being forcefully required to agree to the trafficking that's gonna happen. And it just continues. So what now? I just wanna talk practically for a second. We each have a calling. Um, some of you are church leaders. I hope there's actually a lot of church leaders in the room. Our first thing before anything else, before he said, she said, who's right, who's wrong, is that we as Christians are called to be a refuge for the hopeless. It's in the Old Testament and it's in the New, so you can't argue it either way. A refuge for the hopeless. Have you in your church established proper protocols for when, not if, when a victim comes forward? Do you have a process in place? because if you don't, you're going to look real bad once it happens, and it's going to be quite obvious that you weren't prepared. Do you have a process in place? Have you reached out to a third-party organization who does these types of things? There's lots of them. They're out the wazoo, and they will walk with you through an accusation process in a victim-centered approach. Loving the one who is feeling hopeless. Did you know that 95% of the time when a victim comes forward with a claim, it is true? 95% of the time. Church, the victim needs to be our focus educate and advocate. Provide trauma-informed training to those who in it might be dealing with those who are at risk. Your youth pastors, your small group leaders, your Sunday school teachers, your own pastoral care team, they should be trauma-informed. They should know what to look out for. They need to provide parent res- resources to parents and to your youth. We have this awesome trafficking booklet which you guys all have in your hands. We have digital versions and we will mail you as many copies as you want free of charge. As many as you want. I don't care if you want a thousand of them. We'll place another order and we'll get them in your hands. As many as you want. There are resources available. Being uneducated is no longer an excuse. Hold accountable. This is going to be gross. Seventy percent of children youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them in the last year for dealing with help with pornography. That's one, that's not a huge number, right? 68% of church-going men and more than 50% of our pastors view porn on a regular basis. That's a fun one. 50% of our pastors. Of young Christian adults 18 to 24 years old, 76 are actively searching for porn. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. And 69% say porn has adversely impacted the church. And this study was done in 2016, so it's a little outdated. So I'm assuming as COVID has skyrocketed and we see the trend on the digital going highwards, these numbers are probably a lot higher than what they're reported as on this. So we're thinking, we know, obviously these numbers are here. We know this is a huge issue. The church has got to be doing something about it. 7% of pastors say their church has a program to help people struggling with porn. Only 7%. So not only have we failed our girls by putting them in jail cells when they come out of trafficking, we have failed our men. We have. We are not providing resources, men and women, pornography is a woman thing too, but we have not provided resources for those struggling because that's one of those secret sins we don't talk about. We'll talk about gossip all day, but this is a huge one, and we're not providing resources for our men. We have to do something. If you're a church leader and you have the capability, more than anything else, I beg you to go back to your church and say, we need to start a group for this category right here. Because changing this category changes the demand. Changing the demand makes the product useless. Our girls will no longer be for sale. What's your calling personally? You need to educate yourself. You need to know about trafficking and the risks, and you need to be open with your circle of influence that that's not just happening over there, that this is an over here problem too, and we all need to be aware of it, because if we're all educated on it, the enemy can't give lies about it. The mainstream media can't cancel it. There's a lot going on. Advocate. Find an organization near you. If you're in Buffalo, there's two great ones, PATH and Project Mona's House. Project Mona's House operates four safe houses in the city of Buffalo, four of them. They're loving our girls. And you know, (laughs) you wanna know the number one city in Western New York where trafficking is happening? It's not Buffalo, it's Orchard Park, where the money is. Yeah, I saw some jaws drop there. That is the number one location of where it's happening. Is that not crazy? Be a parent and not a friend. This one's tough, because I love my little girl more than anything, and already she's one and kind of runs the house, and I don't love saying no. Um, But your job is not to be a friend. I don't care if you think it's cool to be on your selfies with your kid and wearing matching crop tops or whatever it is you're doing, that's fine. But if you're not a parent figure in their life, you've already failed. You have. You have to still be a safe place. You have to be where they can turn to, but you have to be the source of guidance in their lives. That's your role, your God-given role. Don't neglect it. And lastly, look inward. If you're part of the problem and you're sitting in this room, this is a great place to be. We're praying for you. Just like I pray for every survivor out there, I pray for every buyer out there. Because you know, their sin is not greater than mine. It's not. It may look a little different, but it's not greater than mine. The blood of Jesus still will cover them, just like it covers me. If you are part of the problem, find help today.
0: Yeah. And I know Hannah well enough, she's presenting those facts, and they're sad facts, right? And and we're not like sharing like sarcastic, and then the church is doing this and only this. But guys, this is tough stuff to talk about. It is, it's not not easy. That's my daughter. That could have happened to her. It could happen to my granddaughter. We've gotta educate ourselves and realize this is real. This is real. What are we gonna do about it? What are we gonna do about it? I pray that you say, as for me and my house, we're gonna take a stand. Men starts with us. I can't change things I did before I met Jesus, right? But I have a relationship with him now. And I have a responsibility not to be perfect. I'm far from it. But I want to be a light in a dark world. And this is a dark topic. And they're tough facts to listen to. So we have we have we wanna show a quick video and then we're gonna kind of shut down the presentation part. Watch this video. This will tell you a little bit more about Safe Harbor. I'll close in prayer and then we'll hang out for a couple minutes and take some questions.